back to There Are Three of Me. I'm primarily Gabrielle Lawson, but I'm also Ina Coriel and Philippe de Lamatrac. We write fan fiction, and we, or I, love to talk about writing, to try and help other writers to write better fan fiction. Last time, I covered a lot of things, like pacing, point of view, and all the various links a story can be, and the scenes and chapters that make up those links. I'd like to share another one of Ina Coriel's stories, since she only has short stories. Would you mind if I read you a creepy horror story? It's the only one we've ever written. I'd always wanted someone else to write a story set in Mirkwood during the time of the Necromancer. That was Sauron, but no one knew it yet. Elves would disappear. Greenwood the Great became known as Mirkwood because the trees grew dark and sinister and the giant spiders invaded. Only Thranduil's magic held his kingdom safe. No one wrote it for me. Then Dwimmerdeen, challenge keeper in Hinneth Anun at the time, put out the Things That Go Bump in the Night challenge. She said, you can write from the point of view of the monster. And that plot bunny bit me hard. The lure of the darkness was the result. Standard disclaimers apply. The Lure of the Darkness by Ina Coriel Do you hear that? Anaros asked, stopping Legolas with his hand. Yes, Legolas answered. It did not take elven ears to hear a call so loud and panicked. It was the sound a mother made when she could not find her child. At that moment, someone raced up to the prince and his friend. Elf though he was, he was out of breath when he stopped. The father, Legolas guessed. My prince, the elf stammered through frantic gulps of air. Our daughter, she's missing. Legolas felt a stab of pain in his chest. He had known that was coming, felt it in the mother's call, heard it in the father's breath, but still it hurt him. He had heard such things too many times. He barely remembered now the time before the shadow, before the necromancer had come to the forest, before Greenwood the Great had come to be called Mirkwood, and each time he heard that someone was missing, his memories returned to the day when his, vo his own voice had been heard, calling for his mother, and the way his father had been out of breath when he finally reached them. Too late. Too often, they were too late. She may be found yet, Honoris said, not only for the father's reassurance. He had been Legolas's friend long enough to know what Legolas was thinking. The child in Legolas gave way at once to the warrior he had become. Where was she last? he asked the father. L'Oreal is young, he said. She wanders. Her mother is ever calling her home. She does not see the darkness. She was born too late. She has not seen the light. The young ones were particularly vulnerable. Knowing only the shadowed forest, they perceived it as normal. They did not clearly hear the warnings of the trees, the fear, the mourning. But young as they were, they were already in love with Arda and curious, wanting to see much of her. Where? Legolas asked, trying to guide L'Oreal's father to a place where they could be of help. Near the old oak, the father said, pointing to the southwest. She was with her mother. We have looked for her, thinking she must not have gone far, but we lost her in the trees. There was webbing. It watched, high in the tree, silent. It could feel the danger, the strength of the elven king. Few of its kind had ever come this close. But the payment, the reward for that risk, was so sweet that this one dared. Its belly was empty, and it craved the sweet juice of a creature of light. 
It could have its fill of squirrels or even an occasional deer, but nothing was so sweet as taking the life of an elf. And here was one just waiting for it. Sweeter still, the prey was a child, a tiny morsel, not enough to slake its thirst, but a tender reward, a dessert, for the danger it faced to gain the prize. It watched. The child came closer, still too far, too near its mother. The youngling's golden hair glinted in the tiny rays of light that filtered through the thick leaves above. "'This way, child,' it whispered quietly, no more than a breath. Elves could hear. The mother might hear. The mother would be a meal. But big elves were hard to catch. They could cost a leg or a life. A child was a gift from the darkness that it served. Too ignorant to fear, so lost in wonder for the leaves and trees. It watched, and the child crept closer. "'Stay near, L'Oreal,' the mother called. "'I will,' the child answered with its high and cheerful voice, carefree, careless, and the repugnant beauty of that voice fed its hunger, made it grow. It trembled as the hunger filled it like a lustful wave. It wanted the child, needed the child. "'I will show you something beautiful,' it crooned, still at a whisper, fighting its own body that wanted to race forward and snare the morsel before its mother could react.' Big elves could follow, take the child before it was empty, kill its own kind before they could escape. The child had to come, and the anticipation built up the hunger, the need, the lust. It it strained to keep still. The child was watching, peering through the leaves, trying to find the voice. The little one's delicate hand brushed at the golden tresses that covered its small blue eyes. This way, it called again, and the morsel stepped forward still scanning the trees. It is lovely. Come. L'Oreal, the big one called, and the morsel turned. No, the child could not leave, must not leave. It had waited. It had been patient, perfectly still, waiting. It deserved the child. It is leaving, it whispered to the girl. You must hurry. The golden hair twirled this way and that, trying again to find the voice. So lovely, it soothed, stepping slowly, silently back, I will show you. The child stepped forward, and it had to stifle a moan, so hungry, so thirsty. What is it? The morsel whispered into the leaves. You will see, it answered, stepping back. It is a surprise. L'Oreal. The big one's voice was quieter now, farther away. It had an idea. You can give it to your mother, it told the child. A beautiful gift, but first you must see. The child's eyes lit with wide wonder. It sucked in the air, imagining the taste of the flawless, fresh treat below it on the forest floor. It moved faster now, drawing the child into the trees and away from the big one, and the little one followed, encouraged by the love for its mother, so innocent, so stupid, so perfect. Legolas found the oak. Six warriors flanked him, armed with bows and blades. They fanned out each to another tree. Legolas placed his hand on the oak's trunk and listened, asking it to tell what it knew. To the south, to the south, a child went with, went this way, but has not returned. A spider? Fear rippled up the trunk. No spider, no spider, only a child. She did not return. It did not see a spider, Legolas relayed to his warriors. Only a child, Anaros agreed. They say she went south with her mother calling. She did not return. 
South, then, Legless ordered. There may still be time. Here, my prince, Talathris, the tracker said, pointing to the ground. Her tracks. Lead on, but stay alert. He scanned the trees to the south, looking past the leaves and shadows, hoping to find a web, a leg, a child-sized, a child-shaped bundle. Keep silent. They can hear. The others nodded and moved deeper into the trees, following Talathris's lead and the direction of his gestures. The child had stopped here, he said, motioning, but she went on, away from the oak. They moved slowly, studying every branch, every trig, twig, every leaf, every blade of grass, as the forest around them grew darker and darker. Deeper and deeper, Legless could feel the shadow like a mist that reached inside of him. But he not, saw no sign of the girl beyond the tracks that Talathris followed, until they ended. The shadow laughed in his mind, wicked and malevolent. She is gone, she is gone, sang the trees. But his ears heard something different, something worse. Water. So perfect, so perfect. It had planned for so long. The others had laughed. You'll starve, they said, if you do, they do not put an arrow in you first. But it did not listen to them. It dreamed of this, a sweet morsel coming to it, walking into its trap. They had to chase and team up. They had to share their meals. But it would not have to share. It would not have to run. Its treat would fall into its arms. Where is it? The child asked, still looking to the trees. But it was still hidden. The darkness here was a blanket to hide behind, a comfort. The gift is here, it sang to her, in the water, a lovely gift for your mother. It dropped what it held into the water, a flower, a white bloom with a golden center. It was nearly as big as the child's head, a worthy find for an elf, a tool for one of its kind, a piece of bait for an elf child trap, a lure for a bit of ecstasy. The child pulled a quick breath in as it spied the flower. Above the river, it moved until it was waiting just above its prey. It is leaving, it said as the flower floated downstream. You must catch it. So perfect, the flower hugged the shore. The child would only have to dip its hand into the water, and so the child did. With the sickening grace of its kind, the elf child snapped up snatched up the flower from the water's edge and stood back up with a smile. But just that touch of water was enough. This elf was small. The blue eyes rolled back and the morsel swooned. It moved quickly now, dropping down to the child before it fell into the water. It wrapped its legs around its prey, holding it up off the ground. The youngling's golden-haired head fell forward and it moaned again. The weight was nearly over. So soft was the flesh when it tasted so sweet, but not yet. The morsel was not juice yet. With a shudder, it released its venom and worked. Already it worked, sizzling and snapping. It slurped up the juice of this child where it had bitten just a taste of what was to come. A present, it told the sleeping child, a present for me. But you must be wrapped, wrapped until you are ready. It is too soon, too soon. Legolas spied something white and raced silently through the trees to the banks of the river, there near the water's edge, a flower, so starkly alien in the darkened forest. It did not belong, its light fragrance drowned in the sour smell of the shadow. The white bloom was already beginning to wilt from being plucked. It had been hours then, maybe even a day, for the flower, but not for the child. She had only been missing since this morning. It might still not be too late. It might not be a spider at all. He turned his gaze downstream, hoping to see some hint of her caught along the shore. She might have fallen in the river. 
She might be asleep. She might be awake, but not remember the way home. The trees here were sinister, twisted and gnarled. They laughed at his efforts and taunted. Too late, too late, carried away, carried away. Find her, elf, save her, you're too late, too late. Anaros and the others caught up behind him and fanned out. They all knew the danger of the river and that of proceeding on assumption alone. Talathris saw something and touched the ground. He held up a hand for a moment and then wiped it on some leaves. Webb. Legolas jerked his head upward. There, a strand, glinting as the breeze blew on it. He followed it up with he followed it with his eyes up and over the river. There, something white in the branches just over the river. Legolas put his bow behind him and started up the tree from which the strand was hanging. It screamed at him, filling his mind with a horrid screeching noise. He ignored it and kept his eyes on the white bundle up ahead. It was the right size for a small child. There was hope. No hope taunted the tree. No hope. The master rules this place. He will have you. The limbs moved and twigs pulled at his leggings and ankles, but Legolas was an elf and no tree had ever held him back, except once. They had held him back from his mother, saved him while she was murdered. The tree laughed. Legolas snarled, angry with himself for letting the tree goad him. He pushed on. It was nearly within reach now, just over the river. The limbs beneath him shook, trying to throw him off. "'My prince,' Anaros called, disobeying the order for silence. He was clearly worried. Legolas, however, refused to fall to the tree's taunting or its shaking. He held on and climbed further over the river. "'Legolas, be careful!' Legolas hooked one knee over the branch he sat on and pulled out his knife. He leaned over to the bundle, ready to slice it open and free the child. But once he touched it, he knew, and the tree beneath him laughed. Too late. The sticky bundle was already open and hollow.' The child was gone. Wading was so hard, the river below rippled and babbled its way downstream, and the spider waited, watching its bundle carefully. It trembled and tapped the bundle now and then, poking to see if its reward was ready. The child opened, it opened its blue eyes. The spider watched the morsel, smiling, though the child would not perceive that. The eyes were all that was visible of the little elf, and at first they were calm and sleepy, but then they widened in surprise and concern. No doubt the child felt the venom. The morsel mumbled and whimpered, and the spider giggled with in glee. Too soon, too soon, it told the child. You are my present, my reward. The bundle wobbled as the child struggled, but the venom was strong, and as was the web that encased its little body. The morsel began to trot cry in little smothered sobs that were lost in the trees above the river. "'Have you forgotten, little one?' the spider asked. "'Have you forgotten your mother? Forgotten the warnings the big ones give? Forgotten who rules this forest? Forgotten me?' The child's struggles became weaker, though its tears increased. The spider poked again and felt the bundle give and squish beneath its leg. "'So close,' it said. "'It could wait.' It could wait until all of the prize was ready, wait until those blue eyes closed and this morse, the morsel's movement ceased. But it had waited so long already, it was hungry, so hungry, and it dreamed of ways to make this morsel more succulent, more satisfying. Deciding then, it tore at the webbing, releasing the child who almost fell into the water below. Almost. It caught the morsel, wrapping it up again, just enough so it could drag it through the trees. Once it crossed the river, it lowered the morsel to the forest floor and then dragged it along the ground. The elf child still breathed. 
but there was no fight left in it, just juice, sweet juice. And when it could no longer, it could wait no longer, it released the child and turned its face up on the ground. It stretched its long legs over its prey, spreading over the child like a tent. It dwarfed the morsel. Unmoving as the little one now was, it could see its prize was hardly longer than one of its own legs. Watch me, morsel, it said, and those blue tear-stained eyes rolled languidly up to watch its face as it bent down and gorged himself on its tiny body. The child weakly moved to push it off, but it drank on without pity. Alive when it began, the elf's life made the morsel sweeter, sweeter than anything it had ever drunk before, and as it drank, the last bits of the child were liquefying into the pulp it craved. It stopped itself from finishing the last of the little one, though. The trees grew restless, and it knew the big ones would be looking for the child. They were close, but it had an idea. Taking one last slurp, it withdrew and scampered up the tree and away into the darkness. Legolas walked slowly, carefully, straining his ears to listen past the trees and his eyes to see past the shadow. He had waited by the water until the others had crossed. They were far enough from his father's realm now, deep in the darkness where evil things dwelt, spiders most of all. He did not need Telathrus to show him the tracks here. The spider had seen no need to hide them, and there was a very distinct drag mark leading into the, tree, the shadow of the trees. Now, with his company watchful behind him, he concentrated on the path before him, the path of a spider dragging an elven child. The shadow was thick here, stifling, suffocating. It filled his sight with darkness, his nose with stench, and his mouth with the taste of something rotten. And in his ears, the jeering of the trees had grown deafening. But Legolas was not a green warrior on his first mission. He knew enough to push beyond the assault of his sense to his senses, and he knew enough to know when to call off pursuit. There came a point when even the strongest of elves had to turn back. Dolgodur held sway in the south, and its power was overwhelming. Its pull was so strong that whole parties of elven warriors had become lost in the forest near it, and decimated by the inhabitants of it. Legolas was feeling that pull with each step, and he readied himself to make that decision. Then he saw her, a vision of beauty surrounded by black ugliness. Her dress was soiled but still bright. She was sitting against a tree and looked to be sleeping. He ran to her, putting his life in the hands of the warriors who guarded him. She did not move, and fearing what he hoped not to be true, he knelt down and touched her face. Her face gave way to his touch, crumpling in, crumbling inward. Legolas's stomach lurched and he froze. The girl fell over with a sickening squelch. Legolas felt a hand on his shoulder. It's too late, Anaros whispered. We are too late. The end. Well, that was probably the most animated reading I've given, but I thought that spider kind of needed the animation. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I'd also want to read another one because I'd be remiss if I didn't explain better what a filk is. Think folk song, but fiction, so filk instead of folk. Ina Coriel is the only one of us who ever tried one of these. Don't worry, it's funny, and I'm not going to sing. You'll just have to imagine the tune. It's to Amazing Grace. Ode to Legolas by Anna Corio, to the tune of Amazing Grace. Amazing elf, how light his feet that run upon the snow, how beautiful the moon at night that sets his eyes aglow. 
Through many dangers, toils, and snares, he comes through unscarred. Tis grace of his Eldar genes that makes wounding him so hard. He kills them with his bow so fast and also with his knives. He saved all his friends at least once in the film. They owe him all their lives. We are his fans, ten thousand strong, young and old and all between, from every country on this earth. How can we all be wrong? This was written for the International Legolas Month song par parody Palooza at Henneth Anun. Just as there are many different lengths to both fanfiction and profiction, there are many different genres. Books, movies, and TV shows also can be broken into different genres. There are such things as mysteries, romance, horror stories, dramas, and comedies, adventure, etc. Fanfiction may have more of them. It's sort of defined by yourself and the site you're posting your stories to. Fanfiction.net and Archive of Our Own have different genres, though many are common in both. Fanfiction.net lists adventure, angst, crime, drama, family, fantasy, friendship, general, horror, humor, hurt comfort, mystery, parody, poetry, romance, sci-fi, supernatural, suspense, tragedy, western, and even more. You can probably read some overlap in those. It's not uncommon for a story to be in several genres at once. By having so many, it can help to narrow down exactly what kind of story you want to read. For example, you can narrow down the list of Harry Potter stories from 816,000 to a much smaller number if you set the category or genre to humor. The Lore of the Darkness obviously belongs in the horror genre. Ode to Legolas would belong in humor, and if there was a category or genre for filk, it could go there as well. I have to talk more about romance here. Romance has its own breakdown depending on couples. Het might mean heterosexual romance, a man and a woman, for example. Slash might mean homosexual. Think Kirk slash Spock. That slash between the names is a sort of shorthand. Slash might itself be broken down to F slash F or M slash M. Given the broadening numbers of gender identity, there could be others as well. There are other romance hints, usually in the summary. Kirk slash Spock, for instance, would tell you which two characters are involved. Kirk slash OC would mean Kirk is, is paired with an original character. Some fanfiction sites, like uh, Archive of Our Own, they use a lot of tags. That Kirk slash Spock story might have a slash tag. If Spock is pregnant in it, it will also have the impreg tag, which is short for male pregnancy. Yes, that's a thing. Tags like slash, impreg, and non-con let a reader know what to expect in a story. If you're not into male pregnancy and don't want to read about it, you can watch out for that impreg tag and stay clear. Likewise, if you like that kind of story, you may look for that tag specifically. There's also something called AU. AU stands for Alternate Universe. It's taking the same characters and maybe the same setting and changing them in some significant non-canonical way. Dwemerdine wrote a very long AU, which was a what-if kind of story. What if, when Gollum tried to escape the Mirkwood Elves, he was killed? How would that change affect the rest of the story? It's called Lie Down in the Darkness, Rise Up from the Ash. I admit I haven't finished it, but I do mean to. She's a great writer. AU can also be something subtle. 
I'm going to read two more Drabbles by Anacorio. These deal with a story from the Silmarillion. The Silmarillion is a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. It covers all the time from the creation of the world up to the Third Age, the age of The Lord of the Rings. In this story, the Queen of Numenor, Tarmiriel, was raped by her cousin, who married her and usurped her throne. And he was in league with Sauron, so very bad things happened. Things got so bad in Numenor that they were sacrificing Numenorians where they used to worship Iluvatar. The god of the sea swallowed Numenor. Only nine ships, captained by Elendil and his sons, left the island before it went under. They took with them the sacred tree that grew in that place of worship. It became the white tree in Minas Tirith. I wrote the first of these drabbles long after reading the Silmarillion. Only after rereading Tarmiriel's story in it did I realize I'd gotten it wrong. But I still liked the drabble, so I let it remain as an AU, and I also wrote a drabble that fit canon. I'm going to read the canon one first, and then the alternate universe one. I watched too long these waves by Anna Correo. I watched too long these waves so swiftly rising. I longed to watch his failure, my husband's, and his puppet master Sauron's. Too long I stayed watching, rejoicing in the fall of this wicked people, my own no longer. They chose evil. All the faithful now are gone, gone to the fires or gone to the waves, gone in nine ships led by Elendil. Too late I ran for the Meneltarma, where once we prayed and then we burned. I cried out for salvation, but the waves run quicker than I. I watched too long these waves, and now I die. And that was actually written as a um, request, a birthday request for Rain Song. She had requested Calabrian or Muriel. And now the alternate universe version of this. I welcome these waves by Anna Coriel. I welcome these waves climbing ever higher here to the Menel Tarma, where once we prayed and then we burned. I longed to watch his failure, my cousins, my husbands, and his puppet master Sauron's. I rejoiced with the waves, joyful in the fall of this wicked people, once my people, my father's people. The faithful now are gone, gone to the fire, or gone to the waves, gone in nine ships, led by good Elendil. To the east they go, back to where we started long ago, and I go to the waves, to peace and an end to my despair. In addition to genres, many fanfiction sites have ratings, much like our movies do. You have to check the site to see what rating system they use. Fanfiction.net uses ratings such as K and K+, which would be equivalent to PG and PG-13 movie. M for Mature, which would be more like an R movie. Again, that gives readers an idea what your story has in store for them. There are still some other nuts and bolts to go over, like how to punctuate compound sentences and the difference between there, there, and there, or dialogue. Those will be a lot harder to illustrate with just my voice, but let's talk about style for a while. Most fanfiction is written in past tense. The action is stated with past tense verbs. He spoke, she entered the bridge, they rode their horses into battle. It's what we're most accustomed to, just as with first, third person limited. In English, we have two other tenses, and it is possible to write good stories in both present and future tense. He is looking through the paper. They will ride until their horses tire. Personally, I've always stuck with good old past tense, but I've read a few in present. I don't remember any in, in future tense. Style is a hard thing to teach, whether in formal education, community education, or a podcast talking about writing. Tone and mood are part of it. 
How you choose your words and how you string them together is what makes you unique to another writer. I discussed mood a bit when I spoke about one of my story's prologues. As you listen to music, you can get a sense of mood even without words. Listen to Mozart's 23rd Piano Concerto, then listen to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. The Beethoven's is much darker. In music, that's called timbre. It's the color of music. Mozart's is bright. That uh, Fifth Symphony by Beethoven is much more dark. Think of writing in the same way. Something said one way can create a darker mood than saying the same thing in a different way. I'll give you a funny example. I once worked the Halloween haunt at our local theme park. My setting was a Victorian cemetery, and I was a beautiful young lady in a bustled dress and boing-boing curls. My face was lovely, though dead, on the left side, but all the skin was ripped off and bloody on the other side. Ah, the memories. My shtick was to sing Ring Around the Rosie slowly in a creepy voice and then to yell nice things in Czech and Hungarian at people. Let me know if you think this sounds like nice things. That means, in order, alternating Czech and Hungarian until the end, Nice to meet you. Happy birthday. I lived in Teplitza. Hello. And unfortunately, I only know a little Hungarian. People thought I was cursing them in some demonic language only because I said them in a very different tone. In The Lore of the Darkness, elements in the story set the tone, and then word choice adds to it. The elements were the idea of a missing girl and anguished parents at the beginning, then the spider's voice and thoughts, the tree's taunting Legolas, and finally that squelch. Tone comes into play in our style as well. Third-person omniscient can have a haughty tone, for example. Or take this podcast. It is presented in an informal tone. The article I wrote that inspired my classes had a much more playful tone. The three different drafts of my first-person story had different tones when they had different voices. A young man telling the story very soon after the events may still be processing the trauma of those battles. His tone would be different from the old man telling the story 30 to 50 years later. Syntax, in a nutshell, is how you put your words together. Up to this point, anyone could write a story based on what I've discussed so far. But could they write it well? How about well enough to have readers ask for their autograph? Style is what's unique to your writing, though it may vary from piece to piece or fandom to fandom. My style and syntax when writing Star Trek is different from Ina Coriel's style and syntax when writing The Lord of the Rings. My friend and fellow writer Dwemerdine writes symphonies. She doesn't write music. It's her syntax. She studied philosophy, and that bleeds into her writing in a beautiful way. Another painted landscapes with her writing, like a grand oil painting. I could see what she painted. I felt another wrote antique jewelry, but I can't pinpoint why I felt that way. I like antique jewelry. As you read more fanfiction and profic, you'll get more, sense of this, more of a sense of style. You'll begin to find really good writers and stories. As you write, you may find pieces of their styles influencing yours in a unique way, your style. And you just may find other people finding you to be a really good writer with really good stories that influences their styles. There are some pitfalls of fanfiction, and there are many. With 57.4 thousand stories in the Lord of the Rings book section of fanfiction.net, how many do you think are good stories? Anyone, literally 
anyone can post a fanfiction story, which means there is no editorial co control keeping the hacks out. There are terrible, terribly written stories out there, and very few gems proportionally. You've got to dig through a lot of dreck to find those gems. You want, should want your story to be a gem. There are some common characteristics that show a story to be a hack. Out-of-character characters, or OOC for short, are when non-original characters are written in such a way as to be unrecognizable as that canon character. Then there are the Mary Sue Gary Stews. Be wary when you see an OCs. They're not all bad, but in the hands of a hack writer, they can be. Usually, they are veiled author insertions for a romantic encounter with their favorite character. Unrealistic situations are another problem. Yes, we're writing fiction. We may even be writing fantasy or science fiction or supernatural aspects. It's not real, sure, but it has to be realistic. It has to be somewhat plausible for your chosen genre, at least. Another indicator is bad spelling or grammar. In this day of spell-checking software, there's really not an excuse for bad spelling. Typos happen. And some writers are not native English speakers, but a plethora of bad spelling means your writer didn't care enough to fix the mistakes. Bad grammar is the same. Not everyone is good at grammar, but there are resources and places to get help if you care about the craft of writing. Hacks don't. So where do you get help? I had to write a big fight scene as the climax of a story to bring a seemingly dead character back to life. I wrote it, and it seemed like a bad puppet show. So I asked for help. I found someone who likes writing combat and I asked him for help. That was a story I felt compelled to write but which pulled in characters from the sister show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you've ever seen it, you know the show lives on banter. The dialogue comes fast and it's very clever. I didn't feel confident with those characters to get the dialogue right, so I interviewed various other writers in that fandom. Then I asked the best ones if they would help me. Mike Donovan did. I'd write the dialogue, and he'd scooby it up. Their gang was called the Scoobies. The result was accurate characterization and familiar-sounding dialogue. I credited him as a contributing author. And by interviewed, I mean meant I read stories. I read and read until I found some author that had the characteristic I was looking for, and then I asked some for help. You can seek help from authors in the same way. Writing a doctor and you're not one? Find a doctor friend to run your stuff by or, or who will answer your questions. Even better, find a writer with a medical background. Fan fiction is not as lonely as profic. There are communities in the fandoms where you can mingle online. There are Facebook groups for these fandoms and even one for fanfiction.net writers. Get involved. It will be fun, inspirational, and helpful. For The Lord of the Rings, I'd recommend Henneth Anun. For Star Trek, there's alt.startrek.creative on Usenet, which is newsgroups. Though admittedly, there's a lot less action in both communities. When the shows dry up, it's harder to keep the inspiration flowing. There are also books and the almighty Google to help. I used to subscribe to Writer's Digest. They put out a lot of books to help with the craft of writing. There are books on everyday life in the 1940s or how to write an autopsy. You can find books on grammar, too. I have some left over from college. If I'm stumped on some grammar point, I can pull it out and find the answer. I recently wrote a story trying to mesh real history with the epilogue of Call of Duty World War II. 
I was able to read the full diary of a prisoner POW in the Berger camp online at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum's website. Of course, watch the show that inspires your fandom. Read the book, watch the movies, soak up everything you can about the characters you love. It will help you get to know them and write them as good, strong characters. And then there are beta readers. Oh, these have gotten hard to find. But if you can find one or two, they're golden. Beta readers are the readers that see your story before the public does. Writers groups or clubs do the same thing, but usually in pro fiction. Sometimes family members will read and offer constructive criticism. In, fact, in fan fiction, we call those readers beta readers or test readers. Find some you can trust, be they friend or family or fandom member. You want someone who won't hurt your feelings or feed your ego too much either. Let them save you from bad reviews. Your beta readers can help steer you from a boring tangent, help you decide which fork in the road to take, answer the question you don't have the answer to, and even help you name your, or name your characters or pick a title. They can even encourage you to branch out. I credit Dwimmerdine with goading, um, encouraging me to try to write a drabble and a parody filk. I never thought I'd be able to do either one. They're generally not as ruthless as editors. They didn't buy your work. They volunteered. You can still retain control to not change what they suggest to change if that is your wish. Let them help you polish your story before you throw it out to the wind. If you can find them, they're likely to be in those communities online. Maybe it's that everyone is busier these days. If you can find a good one, hold on to them as long as you can. Well, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the stories and that I helped you in some way with your writing. Next time, we're going to talk, try and talk about grammar and evil. Well, thanks for listening. Drop me a line if you'd like. You can tweet me at at Inhildi, that's I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I, and of course you can PM me on fanfiction.net or an archive of our own. You can even record a voice message with Anchor. Until next time.